Hi everyone, welcome to the Understand the Bible podcast. In this sermon today, we're looking at Revelation chapter 21, all about the new heavens and the new earth, uh, what heaven is going to be like, what it will be like, what life will be like forever for those who believe in the Lord Jesus. So that's coming up. You might like to have a read of the passage before you begin listening to the sermon. Just to let you know that this will be the final sermon in the book of Revelation that we're covering uh, in this series. We'll be back also after the summer for another series that will be starting in September, but there will be a little gap in the podcast also. And the videos on the Understand the Bible YouTube channel are going to take a little pause over the summer as well, or at least be on a slightly lighter schedule for a few weeks. So I just wanted to let you know, thanks so much for subscribing for your support this year, and I'll see you again uh, after the summer, but I hope you enjoy the sermon. Well, uh, when I was uh, younger, I have a little, a little confession to make from when I was younger, which is I, uh, I never really wanted to go to heaven. In fact, to be honest, the idea of heaven always seemed quite unappealing to me. Because, um, well, partly because I thought, well, what's it going to be like? Is it just going to be one long church service? Because, you know, the idea of one long church service, I'm, you know, as much as I enjoyed church, um, was not one which I, I wanted to be doing all the time. You know, there are other things that I enjoy doing. And... Um, and, you know, it, it, but, but that was when I was younger. But I have to be honest, I think a lot of other people also maybe have that same sort of thought. You know, that even when you get older, well, what's, what is heaven going to be like? What, what happens when you die? What, what's it going to be like in the future for those who trust in Jesus? Why would you want it? And this is something where I think we as the church don't always do a very good job of thinking about the future you know, I think we need to, uh, to do a, um, perhaps if you like, spell it out a bit more. And that's what Revelation chapter 21 does. You know, it's kind of, it, it, it spells out more of what life is actually going to be like come the new creation. And it's a, it's a, a vision of this sort of perfect new world. And it's, I think if we just allow ourselves to dwell on this for a few minutes, will actually help us to just have a vision for what that world could be like and help us to, to want to be there. You know, because that's the thing, isn't it? That if you just don't want to be there, then you're not looking forward to it. Um, now, just to say, as we've seen all the way through Revelation, this is not a sort of literal vision. Okay, this is, um, and I think the word literal gets overused, but this is a, this is a, a you know, one of John's kind of visions where everything is kind of symbolic. And if you don't see that, then you'll get lost in, um, why does the city look like a bride? How can that be the case? You know, that's the point, isn't it? That it's actually a symbolic thing. Um, and that's what we see in the first verse here. It says, there's a new heavens and a new earth. Uh, for the first heaven and first earth have passed away. The first significant thing is it's a new heaven and a new earth. It's a new creation not sitting on a cloud with a harp. But I think that's a very important point to make because you know, when we think about heaven, do we think about a new creation like this one? I think most, most I say most people, uh, a, lot of, a lot of the church still kind of, we, the way we talk about heaven is, you know, well, we don't, it's, it's a kind of ethereal thing. But no, no, it's a resurrection, it's a new creation, new heavens, new earth. It's physical. 
that's that's absolutely key and it says there is no longer any sea uh, like we've seen all the way through sea is very often used to describe the kind of chaos and evil in the world so that's just what it means there and it says i saw the holy city uh, the new jerusalem coming down out of heaven uh, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband and um you know, you think about what we've seen over the last few weeks, we, we, we kind of skipped over a few chapters which go into this a bit more, but the contrast between Babylon, the kind of earthly parody, if you like, of the new creation, which is um, described as uh, either a prostitute or an adulteress, you know, someone who leads the nations astray, and contrast that with the, the holy city uh, prepared as a, as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband, uh, and um, uh, then it says, verse 3, I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. You think about this. Think about what it was like for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, you know, where the Lord God walked um, with the man in the cool of the day, walked in the garden with them. And then think about what, what God says in the book of Exodus, uh, Exodus chapter 29, this is just one example um, in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 29, verses 44 to 46. Um, so I will consecrate the tent of meeting and the altar, and I will consecrate Aaron and his sons to serve me as priests. Then I will dwell among the Israelites and be their God. They will know that I am the Lord their God who brought them out of Egypt, so that I might dwell among them. I am the Lord their God. So God, from the, the, through the whole Bible, you know, dwelt with man in the beginning, in the Garden of Eden, but then that was broken when mankind was expelled from the Garden. And then in uh, Exodus and so on, we see God dwelling, coming to dwell with mankind. We see Jesus now as the one who dwells in us by the Holy Spirit. But one day it will be complete. One day it will be one, once more God dwelling with his people, God dwelling with, with humanity. It will be as it was supposed to be in the Garden of Eden. It's life as it should be, in fact, you might say. Um, and so then it goes on, um, there's beautiful words, there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, no more curse, no more sin. Think of Genesis chapter three. And it says, verse, verse six, um, to the thirsty, I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. You think of what Jesus says in John chapter 7, that to anyone who's thirsty, come to me and drink. And I will give you water, uh, living water. You know, rivers of living water will flow from within them. Talking about the Holy Spirit. So it's a fulfillment again of, of all of these promises. And then in verse 8 it says, but the cowardly, the unbelieving, and, and so on, they will be consigned to the fiery lake of burning sulphur. This is the second death. So again, we have this note of, again, you know, sort of warning of, uh, of saying that there will be a judgment. You know, this isn't over kind of papering over the judgment. It's still that note, but actually saying for those who are, who believe, who come to God, who come to Jesus, will receive these things. Uh, so, 
It goes into then in these next few verses a bit more detail as to the, what this, this new Jerusalem is like. And again, this, the imagery here is kind of, it's meant to be evocative. It's kind of like poetry, you know, where you're not, you're not supposed to take every word, you know, and look at that literally, but, but get the sense of it. You know, it's to give, you, give, us, give us an impression, give us a sense of what it's supposed to be like. Um, so let's just skim through some of it here. Um, we have the, um, the 12 gates and the foundations. And the, the gates are written the names of the 12 tribes. And then on the, the wall, uh, they have, says it has 12 foundations. And those have the names of the 12 apostles, the prophets um, and the, uh, the tribes and the apostles. You think of what Paul says, Ephesians chapter 2 how the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets. And this is the whole people of God, built on Christ Jesus. That's what it's talking about. It represents the whole people of God, everyone. And then um, the dimensions here. The dimensions are significant too. It uh, says it was laid out like a square. This is verse 16. As long as it was wide, and it was 12,000 stadia in length, and as wide and high as it is long. Now that's a cube, isn't it? You know, it's wide, long, high, the same, the same. That's a cube shape, isn't it? Why is that significant? Well, if we look again at, there's so many references, like I said, in Revelation, there are more references to the Old Testament, I think, than there are verses. I'm not going to overload you. But uh, if we just look at 1, 1 Kings chapter 6, verse 20, look at the dimensions of the temple that Solomon built. Uh, the inner sanctuary was 20 cubits long, 20 wide, and 20 high. That's the, the, holy, the most holy place, the Holy of Holies, where God kind of symbolically dwelt with the Israelites. It was a cube. So what we're being told here is that this then extends to the whole, the whole city. It's the whole place. In fact, it's the whole of the new creation. It's where God dwells. That's, that's what we're being told. It is the place where you don't need a temple, as we're told, because God just dwells there. And you've got all of these precious uh, stones. Um, you've got um, onyx, jasper, ruby, um, chrysolite, and so on. And it says we're not quite sure what some of them are. Um, but the precious stones, again, this, this memory of the Garden of Eden... We're told in Genesis chapter 2 that, um, that, that there were some of these precious stones are mentioned, that that is where it was. Now, onyx in particular, if you look in, in Genesis 2 verses 10 to 12. So the picture that we're being given here, and we've sort of skimmed through it a lot, but this picture of a, of a perfect new creation, it will be like going back to the beginning. It will be like the fulfilment of everything that creation should be everything that creation was supposed to be. That's what we're being told here. Now, don't get bogged down in the details, but that, that's the message. And then it, this, uh, this um, chapter finishes off just talking about where it is where God dwells. Um, so it says it doesn't need the, verse 23, it doesn't need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light. It's somewhere where there's no darkness. Now, that doesn't mean that there's, you know, again, it's this symbolic thing, isn't it? That darkness in the Bible is a symbol of sin. It's a symbol of death and 
all of those things. There's no more of that. Uh, and it says, uh, verses 24 to 26, uh, the nations will walk by its light and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. Uh, and then verse 26, the glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Everything that's good about this world will be there. Everything that is good about the, the world that we live in will be brought into God's new creation. That's the thing. I think it's, it's easy to, to look round at the world and uh, perhaps think, oh, you know, God's not interested in any of this stuff. But actually, you know, the, we're still made in the image of God. You know, what the human creativity, art, um, you know, technology, all of these things, there's still something good about them, even if they're, they're corrupted. All of that, all of the goodness will be brought into God, into God's new world. But as we are reminded once again, nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose names are written in the Lamb's book of life. So reiterating again that promise, it's only those who belong to Jesus who will enter into the new creation. And it is, um, nothing impure will be there. So, it, you know, if there's art, if there's technology or whatever, it will only be the good. It will only be that which is perfect, which God, which God has, has um, brought in and, and sanctified, made pure. So what then can we say about what the new creation will be like? What can we summarise, having, having just heard all of this? It is definitely not sitting on a cloud with a harp. And I, I, I reiterate that because I think it's such, a, it's such a pervasive image that, you know, so often I think people talk about this quite casually, um, but the Bible is very different. The Bible gives us a very solid view of the new creation, which is it's a creation, it's physical, it's a resurrection. It is not an ethereal existence where we're just floating around in a white space. I mean, who would want that? To be honest with you, is it any surprise that people don't want, don't want to be Christian if that's the view of what things are going to be like in the future? It, it says that God's presence will be there all the time. It's a place where God dwells and that is as life was meant to be. You think about how good it was for Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden to walk with God, to talk with him. That is what it will be like to walk with God, to talk with him, for him to dwell there and for, for us to enjoy his presence and to enjoy his being a father, a good father to us, um, knowing his goodness day by day. Every good thing about this life will be there. And I think that's something that we don't, we don't think much about. But, you know, there are lots of things that we enjoy in this life. But it will be there, but it will be there without the curse without being spoilt by sin. Now, can you imagine, for example, can you imagine life where you can enjoy things without the downsides? Because in every good thing in life, there's a downside, isn't it? Now, if you enjoy gardening, for example, you know, you might enjoy planting the, the plants, and, but it's hard work, isn't it? You have to get rid of the weeds. You have to, you know, it's hard work. Imagine doing the gardening, but without having the negative all of the weeds, all of the, the back-breaking labour. Or imagine, you know, working, um, you know, just, the, just the, the ordinary work that we do. 
uh, it's very often it can be frustrating, can be repetitive, it can be um, it can be hard work, it can be you know a difficult time, can't it? Just normal work. Imagine doing work without that. Imagine relationships. I mean, even even our closest friendships go wrong sometimes, don't they? And people hurt each other, even people who are good friends. Imagine having friendships without that and without that fear of people, uh, people hurting one another. Now, can you imagine the kind of life without any of the curse of sin? I think it's really hard to imagine, and that's why it's so important to spend time dwelling on this, just to think, what could life be like without all of the curse? What would life be like without sin? Because sin is what spoils the creation, and sin is what spoils our enjoyment of God's world. And that will be gone in the new creation. And so what Revelation is encouraging us to do is to to meditate on what the new world can be like and to prepare ourselves for that by seeking to live in line with where we're going. Because as we seek to to follow Christ, put to death uh, the sin within us, to love others, actually we are living in line with where we're going to be. And we find more and more the goodness of where we're going. And that is what life should be like. The thing that robs us of joy is sin. And it's actually as we seek to follow Jesus that we we find more and more of that joy and bring it into our lives now. Although it will one day be, be complete. We can get a small taste of it, I think, in this life. Now, how do we get there? And this is the the final verse here from verse 7, which I didn't mention, but verse 7 says, Those who are victorious will inherit all this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. Those who are victorious, and that's a message which we've seen all the way through uh, Revelation, those who are victorious, those who press on, those who press on with Jesus, those who press on repenting of sin, who press on coming to God, coming for communion, coming to receive forgiveness, coming to just walking with him day by day and saying, you know, I want to live your ways. I want to live in the ways of love, love for God, love for you, love for my neighbour. That's the way I want to live. And, And as we come to him day by day, the ones who persist in this will be the ones who will inherit eternal life, who will be there in the new creation who will experience that joy forever and ever. And I think that's something that we can, we can look forward to and something we can just start to experience in the here and now. Well, let's take a moment to pray and ask for God's help in giving us a, just a bigger vision, really, of what the future will be like. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray that as we think about these things, we realise these are um, big truths and there is so much to, uh, to think about here, so much to gather And we pray that you would help us, Lord, to meditate on what it means to be uh, part of your new new world, uh, part of your new creation. And we pray that you would help us to um, live day by day more in line with where we're going, part of your new world, a place where you dwell, uh, a place where there is no more mourning or suffering or pain or anything like that, um, but, but no more sin. And we pray, Lord, that you would help us to be putting to death our sinful nature and living more and more in that the way that we will one day live 
with you in the new creation. So we pray that you would bless us and, and help us and keep us in the, the right ways this day, that we may be victorious and to be with you forever. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.